welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, 23 years ago, and one day today, Steve Young obliterated the San Diego Chargers in the Super Bowl. We are at the zenith, the penultimate Wednesday before the official end of the 2018 football season, and this week with me to discuss the finer points of the Alliance of American Football. It's David Newman. What's up? So I'm not going to discuss it. The, the Alliance of American Football. I want to hear what it is that you love about the Alliance for American Football, starting with the name, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing so far. Uh, and I'd love to hear your theory of where the AAF falls in the pantheon of skill level, if you will, of uh, football watching just <laughs> awesomeness. I mean, it's not great. So, so the, the, the first and like in fairness, I suppose, uh, is like, these were basically, uh, they're, they're effectively their preseason. They did like scrimmage games, uh, to it, right before oh, they have a preseason. I mean, kinda like the very loose it's preseason ish. Isn't that their uh, whole season? And then, so the, the actual season doesn't kick off until the week following the Super Bowl. So it's not this coming weekend, but the following one. Ah. Uh, so these are just, yeah, like practice games that that we're working on and uh they're not great so i think in order like you would naturally i feel like you think right like okay these are good college players but they weren't quite good enough to like crack nfl rosters right so naturally it seems like it should fit between college football and nfl football i'm right? tracking from that a, makes from sense a, a quality standpoint i get it i'm with you but what you're really doing is taking college football and then removing all the really good players who are good enough to get to the NFL, and then you're just kind of left with with the rest of them. And so <laughs> it's, it, it's the leftovers. It's it's like somewhere between top twenty five college football and group of five college uh, college football. I feel I feel like that's where I'm kind of landing so far with it. It's it's really bad. So what you're saying is you're having a lot of fun. Oh, it's yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. So before we get into an announcement and the rundown and the second edition, uh, or I guess the, the other tiers in the roster model, let's first talk about the Super Bowl because it is here. It is upon us. Uh, it is just a couple days before either we have the youngest Super Bowl winner in history or the oldest Super Bowl winner in history. Uh, so what's your prediction for the game? I think the Patriots are going to win. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's kind of where I'm landing. Um, I feel like it's gotten almost a little out of hand in terms of uh, like, there's obviously been this whole Patriots underdog storyline. That's, that's been really absurd, driven, which just is, which stop is absurd, that bullshit, right? right? Which is like, and that's why I think it's been is like just everybody over and over pointing out how absurd that that is. So that's like been there, but I think we've gone the other way and that like, it seems not many people are giving the Rams like all that much of a chance. And I, yeah. I feel like it's still a pretty close game, but ultimately like, I think it's going to be this come down to the same kind of thing that, that really did in the chiefs. And that's that, New England's going to come out and they're going to play a ton of man coverage. You know, they did this against Kansas City. They played uh, upwards. It was like 85% man coverage in that game. And it just made it a little tougher for Mahomes to be able to to kind of find those guys. You know that they're going to have a plan to kind of take away what they want to do and, and kind of their top options there. But I think they're going to come out and play a lot of man coverage. And Goff just uh, hasn't been as good throwing into tight coverage. Like, you know, that's generally true for, for all quarterbacks. But... He basically has been 
a far more middle of the pack quarterback this year when throwing into tight coverage where he's uh, very good when he's got a chance to throw to open receivers been very accurate in that regard. So uh, yeah, I just think that that what they're going to be able to do defensively to slow down the Rams offense is going to be enough for them. I think this game is going to be one of those where it, it proves the value of having a good defensive backfield over necessarily excellent pressure. Um, Cause the, the Patriots are going to find a way to manufacture pressure and I think on the back end, their ability to play man is going to is going to prove, I think, the thing that changes. And of course, that, that changes the game. And I think they're going to sell out to stop the Rams top option, which is clearly C.J. Anderson. Yeah. Uh, and no so, question there. yeah, I think that's that's going to be the game plan. And so we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I am. I, I will, however, be rooting for the Rams. If for no other reason, then I'm tired of uh, Brady Belichick Super Bowls. I want an, I want I, I want mean, it to be fair. a good game. Yeah, uh, I think that's I mean, yeah, I, I'm just at the point of wanting a good game um, and wanting I mean, I'll be doing, you know, grading on that game. And so, yeah, I would would definitely prefer it to not be like a blowout uh, as, as I'm having to go through and do that. So that would be great. But yeah, I, th- I think that there's an I mean, you know, the Rams uh, are no joke. You know, their their offense is still very good, even though I think, you know, the, they're going to be up against some challenges this week. And I think. Yeah, defensively they're going to be pretty good. You have you know, I'm Aaron to Donald, and it's going to be fun. Yeah, exactly. Aaron Donald. I'm interested to see what Wade Phillips does, right? And and how he plays Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, Jesus. Uh, how he plays Tom Brady, uh, and decides to to kind of try to stop that offense because some of the the way the Chiefs were handling the the Patriots, especially late in the game, where you've got just the split safety looks, and it's like over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and they were just leaving the middle of the field open. And, and playing zone coverage, you're not going to get that from Wade Phillips. So I think I am probably going to be interested to see how Belichick schemes for the Rams offense and how Wade Phillips schemes for that Patriots offense. So Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I mean, there's good coaches, you know, good good players on both sides. Like, I, I think it should very much be like a close, good, entertaining game. Yep, yep, three points. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I think the line's now like two and a half, uh, two and a half or three, depending on where you're at for yeah. the Patriots. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But... Before we get to the rundown, let's talk first about some housekeeping. We are moving to Megaphone. Megaphone is just a different platform other than Art19 where we're hosting our shows. What the hell does that mean? It doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot for you. Your subscriptions will automatically move over. You shouldn't see any change there. You'll still be able to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn. Uh, you can find us via Carrier Pigeon, Smoke Signal, basically any way that you want. Uh, as long as you search for Niners Nation where you get your podcasts and you'll start to hear some ads. The old adverts coming to the Better Rivals podcast. There will be a pre-roll, a post-roll, some mid-rolls. All I'm saying is uh, there are apps that have really appropriately timed fast-forward buttons. Uh, And so, you know, just use those liberally. Uh, But other than that, you shouldn't see a change. You'll still be able to find us uh, and get our sweet dulcet tones into your ear holes uh, during the or through the regular channels that you typically do. So now that's out of the way, let's get to the rundown because there are indeed a couple of news stories here for the 49ers, even though it is their offseason. Number one, right at the top, the team is not likely to pick up Pierre Garçon's option. He was set to make six million on the year. And by releasing him, the 49ers will save one million dollars against the cap. Basically, this is another tier three player that was brought in as a stopgap. And the gap has been stopped and his time is now over. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty much it. You know, it's it's a, a guy that we didn't expect to be on the roster for all that long when he signed. You know, it was going to be a short term solution. And I think now they're at a point 
They've added some guys, some receivers, younger receivers to the roster. They're probably, I would imagine, going to add some sort of other veteran receiver, at least into the mix, you know, whether it's uh, as high profile of a guy as as Garcon was, like, who knows? But I think uh, it seems likely they'll add another veteran, uh, at least throughout the preseason and stuff. So uh, it's just, yeah, from one tier three guy, probably on to the next one. Yeah. Or maybe there's a draft pick that takes that spot. Who the hell knows? But yeah, yeah, I think it, it makes a lot of sense for the team to move, to move on from someone like Pierre Garcon. He is, I think, the definite, and we're going to get to tier three players on the current roster right now, but he is the definition of a tier three player. He's someone who was brought in as a veteran uh, and, and you expect some production from him and they got decent production early on, but man, injuries, I think we're just taking injuries their toll. Sucked. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think he would have been, uh, you know, and obviously not uh, having a quarterback for most, I mean, he yet basically he was on pace for a thousand yards without a quarterback. Yeah. Did he have, I mean, how many snaps did he actually play with Jimmy? Like over those, those, None. I mean, like hardly could, was there any at the beginning of the season? I'm already like, blanking uh, whether... it would, it would have been the first, like there was a couple weeks there, but Gar- was Garcon playing those first couple weeks? I don't know. I don't yeah. know because Jimmy was obviously it wasn't a significant period of time. Yeah. Um, so I mean, all in all, is one of those things where it sucks because I think he is a, a good player, and and hopefully he gets you know he he picks up somewhere else and continues his career. But it's just not going to be with the Forty ers uh, Number two, the team hired Shane Day as the Forty ers quarterbacks coach. Now Shane Day is probably most well known um, for looking like Rick Moranis's body double in Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Because the dude just looks... I mean, I, I don't know how this guy isn't Rick Moranis. <laughs> he, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. You threw his, uh, his, his picture in there. Um, the little look, headshot look that they've got on, look at on him. NFL.com or wherever it's from. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. Well, he uh, spent the last three years as the tight ends coach on Adam Gase's Dolphins staff. The two seasons before that, 2014 and 2015, he coached tight ends in Washington under Jay Gruden. But, but he's the tight end, or he's the quarterbacks coach, right? He's not offensive line or tight end. So what about them QBs? Well, he was an offensive assistant with the 49ers under Mike Nolan. It's there that he worked with Mike Martz. He then joined Mike Martz's staff uh, when he went to Chicago and coached for Levy Smith. Uh, and that's where Day coached the quarterbacks in 2010 and 2011. He coached the illustrious Smoke and Jay Cutler. That's his claim to fame. Uh, Cutler didn't seem to do substantively different the two years that he was being coached by, by Day. Uh, he had quarterback ratings of 85 and 86, and on his career, Jay Cutler's career quarterback rating is 85, so he played just like Jay Cutler does, uh, and he finished the year ranked 19th and 15th in pro football focus passing grades, respectively, for players with a minimum of 139 snaps, so that's basically it. I mean, his his chief chief achievement at this point is <laughs> his glasses and the fact that he's managed to smuggle them in from 1986. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we we t- kind of have talked about uh, at different points where it, it's just, I mean, it's hard to know exactly what you're getting if you're not like uh, kind of inside the league and have coached with these guys before, and and or you, if it's not Bobby Turner that has you know a, a long history exactly. of proven or somebody that's so established like that 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 you kind of like have a re- like he, that he's kind of risen above the typical position coach to where he's right. like a notable name, right? I think. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's difficult to know what you're going to get from these guys and, and what sort of impact they're going to have. I think ultimately, though, you kind of rest easy knowing that Kyle Shanahan is is in charge of all of this. Right? Exactly. I, the, on the offensive side of the ball, 
you shouldn't have to worry too much because he's going to kind of have his hand in, in all of that. I think that the, the next news story, which is interesting, I think is, is related, and that's that the team interviewed Wes Walker for an unspecified coaching position. Walker, of course, retired in 2016. He spent the last two years as an offensive assistant and special teams coach for the Houston Texans. Albert Breer reports that the 49ers are restructuring a bit after the departure of quarterbacks coach Rich Scangarello. And I mean, basically, I think that these two moves are related. And I think Welker's basically being brought in to probably take an active hand with the wide receivers. And that will allow Mike LaFleur uh, to continue working on special projects and apparently get pulled out of a lot of meetings, which is something Shanahan likes to do. So I think if if I had to kind of take a 30,000 foot view, Shanahan thought maybe day uh, or I'm sorry, he thought that LaFleur could maybe handle both roles, right? Continue to be the passing game coordinator and the quarterbacks coach probably said, no, he can't. It's too much on his plate. I rely on him for too much. Um, and you need someone in the quarterback room. So you hire day and then maybe even try to hire a wide receiver assistant coach or a wide receiver coach full stop that allows LaFleur to continue to do what he does. Um, as opposed to try to spread LaFleur even more thin than he probably already is. Definitely. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And, and, you know, getting somebody like Welker in there, uh, you know, if, if you have, if you feel like, I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, what sort of, things he's bringing to the table from a coaching standpoint but if you feel like he's a bright guy that can come in and help you you, you kind of just like to find roles for those guys right what he's doing I think yeah obviously it seems pretty likely that he would have a hand in the receivers like you mentioned and and if you can get in there he can help out I mean obviously they've got some young slot players that could probably benefit from the experience that he has there we all so, know who you're sure. thinking about uh hey that, richie james is in there too yeah and another one that that's you know, what I, may I was or may not richie james bring his hard hat to work you know that's all i'm saying yeah all i'm saying is his title is going to be chief hard hat and lunch pail engineer <laughs> that's that's all he's going to make sure those get brought to practice every single day but um i actually think it'd be neat if wes walker were brought on staff uh, much for the very same reason that you identified right you get smart people people with experience in uh, or who can bring fresh and new ideas to your scheme uh, and you help you, you just let them grow, let hire smart people, let them do good things. So yep. hopefully I, I think he ends up getting the, the job we're getting brought on. But if he doesn't, I think either which way day was brought on to ease some of the burden on Mike LaFleur. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think ultimately as long as Mike LaFleur can keep doing his thing, it's a good thing. So before we get to the model, remember those commercials we were talking about? Well, let's get to a quick break. All right, so let's continue the second installment of the roster model and the roster model evaluation. A quick recap for the uninitiated. Basically, the model is something that we created last year to help evaluate the roster as we progress through this more than one year rebuild. It's year two of the rebuild, and so I think it's a great time to see whether or not the 49ers roster has continued to take a step forward or whether they've kind of been stuck in some quicksand or maybe even taken a step back. Now, why do we talk about tiers? That's because we're not looking at player evaluation as a binary, you're awesome or you suck kind of exercise. I think you have to have some roster construction that blends different skill levels and blends different kind of roster expectations, both veteran and rookie, in your overall roster construction. And so we think that these tiers, these five tiers ultimately that we've created, capture that in a better and more holistic way than necessarily your good or your bad or a straight one through 53 ranking. And then, so in order to basically place them in these tiers, right? So five different tiers, which we'll, we'll hit on in, uh, in just a moment, but basically the things that we're going to consider as to where a player should place in that is going to be obviously 
their skill level, how talented they are, you know, what, how good of a player they actually are. Uh, positions going to matter, you know, obviously uh, the, the more important positions on the field, things like quarterback, cornerback, pass rusher, all of those premier positions, that's going to weight heavily, uh, you know, into where they get placed there. I think you're looking also the big thing for us is expected time on roster, right? So uh, a lot of the difference between some of these tiers is whether they're kind of a temporary stopgap, like we mentioned with Garcon earlier, or whether these are players that we're expecting to be around for a while and to be able to get production from for, uh, you know, an extended period of time here. There are definitely some other things, you know, I think there's uh, players that end up on kind of the the fringe in some of these tiers, and you look at those on a case by case basis. As we'll talk about some of them, uh, some of them later, but those are kind of the primary factors that we're focused on in order to place these guys. Now we'll define the tiers really quickly here, but if you need more information or want more information about those tiers, definitely tune into last week's episode because we talk about each tier in a bit more depth. But we covered tier five and tier four players last week. That's the tier five is the replaceable player. Tier four is the developmental player. Tier three and tier two are the tiers we're going to tackle this week. And those are the transitional players, generally older players with about two or maybe three years of roster production expectation. Uh, and tier two, the foundational players. These are generally younger players, but you expect them to produce on your team for three or more years. They are supporting players. They fit specified roles. They are necessary for success and can play pivotal roles, even if they're not the elite of the elite on your team. So we're going to cover the tiers two and three this week. But first, let's take a quick look back at some questions we got about our rankings for tiers four and tiers five. We have two corrections. One is about Pita, Taumo, and Penu. He was incorrectly listed as tier four, but he is very clearly a tier five. David, why is he a tier five? Because he's not good. Yeah. (laughs) That's... Nothing nothing further to add. Sometimes this isn't difficult. Uh, Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is someone who couldn't crack the edge rushing roster uh, on for snaps on a team that was clearly deficient and needed some edge help. And, and if you can't crack the, the edge pressure and, and get some meaningful snaps on, on the 2018 version of the Niners, I don't know where. <laughs> There's not many opportunities. Maybe he can find a spot on the AF, you know, uh, on an AF roster. Like maybe that's his future. I'm really like, so every time I hear AF, I just think of like as fuck. So it's like, I just keep like something as fuck. <laughs> It's like Fair. It, it, that's I'm I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna grope around a little bit. I mean, like, why do we need another professional football league? America as fuck. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty. See, much, that's see, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that one. Uh, all right, and the other uh, was mostly my bad, and that's Garrett Selleck. We talked about him last week as though he were a tier five player, uh, and while most of what we said last week was true, uh, he is really a tier three player. He is a transitional player that is not expected to produce a whole hell of a lot, but. He still did produce at a, a reasonably, you know, at not a replacement level position, but just at a level that you're like, you know what, you're, you're fine as a second tight end this year, but we're definitely looking to upgrade. Uh, yeah, and, I, I think the thing, right, that moves him there is, is it comes down to the, the fact that there is like an expected role from him, right? Like he may not be great. You know, I think average at best is kind of what you're looking at from with, with him from a skill level standpoint, but there is kind of a clearly defined role for him there and he's expected to play that role for a short period of time. And I think that's kind of what, what lands him in three. Now, the the player that we didn't talk about a whole hell of a lot on last week's show, but that we did get a couple of questions about in the Niners Nation comments is Marcel Harris. And O-Liner in the Niners Nation comment thread wonders why Harris was listed as a tier five player. He asks, well, didn't he show some promise? And I think the quick retort is, well, not really. 
He didn't show a hell of a lot of promise. He showed some athleticism, and he made a couple of key plays. But when you look at the body of work over the last, I think he he started like four games. He played in that, in that first Seattle game, and that was his first start after Tart got injured. He made a couple of splashy plays, but overall, he was one of the worst defenders in the 49ers secondary down the stretch of the year. Yeah, I think there's there's kind of maybe like a case of of some highlight bias with him, right? Yeah, there's there's kind of a few splashy plays that you remember, um, but when you look at things on a snap to snap basis, it's it's just not there, right? And I think it's it's expected because he was what a seventh round pick, sixth right? round, sixth I round think. pick. Uh, you're 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 usually picked in that range for a reason, right? You you have a long way to go from a developmental standpoint, and so I, I think that. Yeah, it's not really saying anything terribly surprising that he lands in that tier. Uh, most of your late round picks are going to be players that are there. So I think, yeah, when, when you just look, there's not enough there for for you to, I think, say it at either level. It wasn't like he was a dominant college player either, right? So I just don't know where you can really latch on to the idea that there is more promise than your typical late round pick with him. And if you're comparing him to last year's late round wonder, Adrian Colbert, who we inappropriately had in the second tier at the end of last year uh, at least Adrian Colbert over the course of the season performed at a high level in the NFL which is why we ended up right. placing him in year two but that's not what Harris did this year and, and I think the play well narrative came from one very specific quote from Richard Sherman ahead of the 49ers game in week 16 he said quote this is insanity the level he's playing at is out of this world some of the plays he made last week and the week before there's only a handful of players in this league that could have made those plays, and he's a rookie out there playing like that, end quote. So I think that was the the effective stamp of approval, and then you get into a bit of an echo chamber where the beat writers say, okay, maybe he's playing well, and the team has a role for him, but when you look at what he's done, he has blown coverages left and right, he's missed some pretty big tackles, he has made a couple of splash plays, um, but overall, what do you get? You get a remarkably inconsistent player who is not consistently good, but trends towards consistently bad, who may be physically talented, but as of right now, that's a skill that you can find on the street, and that is replaceable, and thus he's in tier five. So out of 101 qualifying safeties uh, for, for our grades this season, um, where do you think that Harris, Harris ranks? Out of 101, I, uh, his pro football focus grade was 40 point something. Point uh, zero. Uh, okay, so 40 on the yeah. nose. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and venture to guess that he is 100. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, you know who's below him? Uh, as a safety, Jimmy Ward. Adrian Colbert. Oh, damn it. I knew- Adrian Colbert uh, with a solid step down to 31.7. Um, so, yeah, safety situation, <laughs> not great. Not great at the moment. In case you were wondering, uh, Jimmy Ward, not terribly far up. He was at 89 uh, in, in that, so... Uh, safety, a bit of a concern. Yeah, bit of a well. I mean, we talked about that last week uh, when we talked about defensive backs, and we'll talk about that a little bit this week. So, Marcel Harris, he is he's a player that, and again, we talked about this last week. This is the benefit of the model is that these players are not stuck in these tiers forever. When you stamp them in these tiers, it's not like that's what they're going to be and that's what they will be forever. The hope with someone like Harris is that maybe he does move into tier four and he becomes a developmental player in a project. Or maybe he ends up winning the starting role and we find out over the course of next year that he is a tier two. But at least based on what we've seen this year, he is not performing at a level that would expect you to think this position is solved. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so we've got, you know, there's, there's a little bit of projection involved in kind of what we expect these players to do coming up. But 
uh, you know, largely we're, we're kind of going off their body of work as it stands right now, right? What we actually know about these players. And, and right now with Harris, what we know is that in limited action, he played very poorly and, and there's just not enough there from him to expect that to be a significant improvement in the future. All right, so now that we've answered some questions about last week's rankings, and you can find that complete list on NinersNation.com, let's get to this week's rankings, and let's talk about Tier 3 and Tier 2 players. So the first tier we're going to get to is Tier 3, and as a reminder, these are our transitional players. These are older, generally veterans that are signed for a specific role, where you're only expecting them to produce at some level in that role for two to three years. These are, well, the Pierre Garçons of the world. We needed a wide receiver. We signed one. He played for a couple of years, but you're always on the lookout for replacement. This year, the Niners have about 10 players in that tier. That's 16% of their total roster. Last year, they had 13 players in that tier, which is about 21% of their total roster. Now, when we get to tier three and tier two, these lists are small enough that we can read each and every one. So we'll read off the names. You've got Joe Staley, Jaquaski Tart, Eric Armstead, Kwan Williams, Pierre Garcon, Garrett Selleck, Richard Sherman, Mike Person, Cassius Marsh, and Ronald Blair the third. Is it uh, Kwan? It's Kwan. Yeah. Who knew? Uh, well, I looked it up in the pronunciation guide. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. It's because it, yeah, we've been saying Kwan. Kwan. Yeah. Yeah. Think, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's Kwan. I mean, okay. fair pronunciation guide for the win, you know. Hey, you know what? We got to stay on brand. We have to make <laughs> sure that we get at least one name wrong uh, every single episode. Uh, but that's the list. That's uh, that's all, all, all 10. All yeah. 10 tier three. And I think that's so I think the number, um, you know, again, down a little bit from from last year, like you mentioned, I don't think that you're shooting for, you know, a specific number here. It's not necessarily better to have higher. I think different teams are going to have different makeups, right? This is the thing we talked about from the beginning. So, you know, if you're a team that uh, has a quarterback on a rookie deal and, and you have some extra cap space and you, you think you have kind of a limited window to, to really win and compete, you probably have a lot more of these guys, right? You're going out, you're spending all that free agent money to bring in free agents and you're kind of putting all of your chips in uh, to, for kind of a short term run there. And so I think with the 49ers, it's, it makes sense that they don't necessarily have a ton of players at this position, right? There, there's a few guys because, well, you, you need veterans. You can't have, you know, a completely uh, yeah, a team full of nothing but players on their rookie deals. So you're going to have some guys that naturally fit in here. But yeah, I think you'd look down that list that you mentioned. And, you know, we already know that Garcon's almost certainly not going to be back. Um, there are a couple other players, guys like Eric Armstead, who is kind of, you know, iffy on, on whether he'll be here for another year. You have the kind of edge players at the end there, Marsh and Blair. Um, it wouldn't be surprising if they moved on from them soon. So these are guys that are all, you're kind of expecting to, to hopefully find improvements in the very near future and, and push these guys out. I think the only real exception there is, you know, Staley, uh, Staley, you're, you're hoping that he can continue to put up some great seasons for as long as he can. But even then, I think realistically, right. He's got what, two years left on his deal. No, he's got, or is uh, this his final year. This is his final year. Yeah. yeah. And I, I kind of think that it would be a little bit of a surprise if he lasted, uh, beyond this contract, you know, yeah. maybe they bring him back on a one year deal after that. But again, there's, not a lot of time left that you're expecting Staley on this roster, I think. And remember, it's a blend of both your current skill and how long we expect you to produce at that skill level on this roster. And that's why Staley can, it falls in that third tier. It's not because he is a worse player than some of the players in tier two. It's just simply right. that you, we don't expect him to be here longer, much longer than, than next year. 
and he if he signs an extension will probably be a two-year deal and and there's not going to be a lot of guarantees in year two you know where there's yeah. an out for that second right year. it's going to effectively be like we're gonna, we want to bring you back for one year yeah you know? exactly we, we don't have a it's not a great class like uh free agency wise or draft wise like we're not we don't have a great plan for uh to, to move on from you this year so let's like try it for one more now, did, did you catch any of the the Twitter buzz earlier today about how the Patriots were constructing their roster and how they they effectively found an efficiency with veterans where they're taking these veterans because the the way the NFL is structured right now, they're you're either a rookie and you're providing a ton of value for a team because you're cheap as all holy get out, um, or you're a megastar and there's just this declining middle class. But the but the Patriots have tapped into that middle class because. That's not where teams are getting a lot of their players. And so they're finding value in that tier three area. Um, and so I think that all that to say that there's not one way necessarily to skin a cat. But if there is a, a structural thing where you can kind of exploit a market efficiency, there may be some value in getting some of those players in that tier three area that can help your team immediately and provide some production. Definitely. And I think, you know, we'll talk about uh, once we get into kind of the free agency previews and whatnot, that I think that this is an offseason where it does make some sense for the 49ers to add players in this sort of tier, right? Get some more temporary solutions just because you need some more quality players, right? Even if you don't think that they have a lot of time left, uh, there's going to be some guys I think that they can go after that fit into this slot. So yeah, again, I think there's different ways to do it and it, it depends on your cap situation, a lot on your quarterback situation and kind of how much money you have to work with there and uh, what sort of risks you're willing to take. You know, I think the Patriots are in a spot where, uh, you know, they, they're more willing to kind of give up some of those mid round picks that they get and, and bring in a veteran guy uh, via trade, you know, than, than some other teams are because of, again, they, they know that they're going to be competing here for this, you would think, I guess, short window, though. Who the hell knows when Brady's going to retire, right? But you, you have a more limited window there, you would expect, um, until Brady's career is up, that you want to maximize those opportunities. So it makes sense that they would be a team that goes after more of those type of players. It wouldn't surprise me if a 45-year-old Brady threw the game-winning touchdown pass to a 41-year-old Hunter Renfro in the Super Bowl just two years from now. Hunter Renfro is going to age quickly. Hunter Renfro is already 37 and a half years old. I mean, fair. He's, He's, I mean, uh, he was at Clemson for at least 12 years. He had to come out of AFL retirement to play <laughs> for Clemson. Like, that dude's been there for 97 years. Yeah, it's very odd. I mean, he's almost certainly going to go there. Yeah. And he'll catch a touchdown pass for Absolutely. Brady in the Super Bowl next year. It'll be fun. Now, you look at the most represented positions in Tier 3, and it's going to be defensive back and edge. You've got three DBs, and you've got three edge defenders. Uh, and when you put together kind of the, the complexion of what you're looking at in, in Tier 5 and Tier 4, you look at the most represented position in Tier 5, and that was going to be defensive back. And then one of the more represented positions in Tier 4 is going to be edge uh, and, and really across that defensive line. So when you look at the defensive back position and the edge position as a whole across tiers four, five, and three, what you find basically is that two of the most important positions in football, the cornerback or, or basically pass defender uh, and your edge rusher is either bad, you hope you can develop, or an aging veteran that you want to find someone to replace. Uh, and that's a pretty good summary of the 49ers uh, ability to stop the pass. 
Yeah, I mean, defensively right now, uh, they are basically the league's worst when it comes to defending the pass. You know, I think especially uh, in coverage, uh, it's just a lot of problems. And I think, yeah, this highlights it, right? You don't have any players on this roster, I think, right now that you feel really comfortable being core pieces of kind of the next good defense, right? Uh, it, it's kind of a situation where it's it's a lot of hope and you need some positive things to happen because it's just the players that haven't really shown the ability to do a whole lot. Now, there are two players in here that you may think, okay, why aren't they in Tier 2? Why, why aren't they a step above? And one of those players actually fell back into Tier 3 this year, and that's Jaquaski Tart. So why did Jaquaski Tart, who was a Tier 2 player last year, fall down into Tier 3 this year despite the fact that his two-year uh, pro football focus grade is north of 75, which puts him in a pretty good category for a, a safety. I think with him, it's just, it's tough. I, I, I mean, I think um, among all the players on the roster, his position was probably the toughest to land on, right? Because I think it is kind of borderline two, three there. Um, I just don't, uh, I, I just don't know that he's been able to, the fact that he hasn't been able to put it together for a full season to actually go out there and show that he can one, be durable and available for an entire season and then produce it that way that he's done in limited stretch, right? Over the course of a full season and beyond. I, I, I think it's just, you don't feel comfortable with it and it gets to a point where you have to start like expecting this to happen, right? Where it's just kind of, it, it is, it's been what it's been and 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 you kind of have to start thinking that's going to be the norm, right? Until it, it changes and you actually have some evidence to go the other way. And I, I just, I don't know. I could see them wanting to just go a different direction in the secondary and, and kind of get new players in there. And I could see him finding his way out of there once that rookie contract's up. Uh, or I guess they just gave him an extension, excuse me. So, I mean, they they could, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think that's what it comes down to. I just don't feel comfortable saying that like two years from now, he's going to still be on this roster and be a starter. So it pushes it down. It's it's very close for me, but you know, it's I think that's where I land. I probably leaned more towards putting him in tier two, but I, I think ultimately you're exactly right. We have to go with the production on the field. And by and large, he is he's like the I think he's the player that everyone thinks Marcel Harris is. Where he's sure. actually yeah. he's actually played well for stretches and he has made a couple of phenomenal highlight reel plays. I mean his interception against that Carolina. one hander was insane. Yeah, it's, it's it's amazing, right? So he can do things like that, but I think that those are the hopes, and you hope that he's that player all the time. But he hasn't been that player all the time. I mean, we think early this year before he got injured, he was playing out of position in the run game. He was a little late in his run fits, and and he's a player that was intended to be near the front of the line right he's cam chancellor and and that's not the role that he was playing and he got a little better as the year went on but then he got injured and that seems to be the consistent story with him so yeah. i feel like he is if you're looking at a player that you think is actually marcel harris it's jaquaski tart which is why he's in tier three and it's just, I mean, I mean, the durability is such a big thing, right? We, we've learned this uh, with many players, uh, you know, over time. But I think Jimmy Ward is a very recent example of, like, at some point you have to be available. And it doesn't matter how talented you are and, and what your potential is. If you're not on the field and, and available for your team, then... And, and some of that stuff, you know, is freak injuries that, you know, you hate to throw, like, injury-prone labels on guys. But you got to be available, right? You get, You have to be on the field and able to produce for your team. And he just hasn't been able to do that consistently so far.
The other player in this category is, or in this tier, is, is Eric Armstead. Now, Eric Armstead played a very, very good year. He had the second highest pass rushing grade from a defensive lineman on the team, second only to, of course, DeForest Buckner. Um, he is good as a run stopper, and he's someone that the team, they picked up the fifth-year option on him, and so that puts him at about $9 million next year. But the question here is, do you extend someone like Eric Armstead and effectively say, well, now we expect you to do more longer on this team and make him a, a Tier 2 player, or does he remain in that tier three and you say, you know what, we've got your replacements already lined up on the roster in Julian Taylor. And, and so you can go ahead and, and go get that nine mil plus somewhere else. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously it depends a lot uh, as to what his market is and kind of what it would cost to bring him back. But ultimately I think I lean more and I think that's why he ends up here in, in this tier is you probably, he's not, he's been good. You know, again, he's been probably the second best defensive lineman, uh, on on the team behind Buckner over the last couple seasons. Um, he finally had a season this year where he was on the field consistently and, and was out there, put together a full season and was good. I just don't know that he was good enough that you say, we can't just go find the next Eric Armstead, right? Like, go find another player on the defensive line. I think you look at the draft class um, already, it looks very deep, you know, from a defensive line standpoint. I think you're going to be able to find guys there. And again, they already have some younger bodies that I think can fill a lot of that role. So, and when the team drafts Quinn yeah. Williams, you know it'll be <laughs> it'll be the replacement for Eric Armstead. That seems to be the long term plan is to put eleven defensive linemen out there. Robert Sala already puts them in coverage. Yeah, so just eleven three techs lined up directly behind each other. We saw the Miami blitz earlier today, where you it looks like your defensive line is rushing, but Venables then just drops them all in coverage. I mean, this is the beginning. This is the the germination of an idea that I think can take the NFL by storm is the 11 defensive lineman defense teams are, you know, going, this is just a market, uh, inefficiency that they're exploiting, right? Everybody's like, Oh, we need more defensive backs. We need more coverage players. And they're like, you know what? Three techs. That's right. We're going to load up on, give us all. We'll the call three it techs. the three eleven defense because there's 11, three techs. Uh, and then uh, they'll just play three eleven in the stadium. Anytime we go to timeout. It'll be fun. It'll yeah, be great. Sure yeah, it'll be you know, fun. Amber yeah. is going to be the color of our energy. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my god! All right. So the the question is, do you extend Eric Armstead? I, I honestly would be fine with extending Eric Armstead. I think if you sign him to like a three year deal that gets his cap number down below nine million, I think that would be awesome. I think defensive line depth is key and important. I think really really good teams have depth along the defensive line. I just think that some team is going to pay him more. Yeah, I think that that's reasonable. I, I think that, yeah, he's probably going to find an opportunity that, that gives him the chance to maybe play a little bit more than he would on this team. And I think it, it might be just be best for both parties at this point. Like, they they need some, some versatility along the defensive line that they don't currently have. Yeah. So let's get to Tier 2 then. This is the fun tier because this is where you start getting into the players that are good. Question mark. Uh, you've got seven total players in this category, 11% of the 49ers roster. In 2018, that number was 14. So in 2018, we thought 22% of the roster was a core piece, a tier two player. Uh, we had the cold slap of reality hit us across the face in 2018. <laughs> that number is now down to seven, 11%, a 50% reduction in this tier from 2017 to 2018. So the list, Marquise Goodwin, Matt Breida, Kyle Juszczyk, Dante Pettis, Lakin Tomlinson, Fred Warner, and Weston Richburg. So that's that's the list. Do you feel good after reading those names off? I do not. 
Uh, I feel g- good about some players. I think that Matt Breida, Kyle Juszczyk, uh and Goodwin, I feel good about them. I think Goodwin had just a, a shit year this year. With oh, and we didn't put on stuff. there, uh, which we added to the list, but not to this list. Oh, uh, Jarek McKinnon, McKinnon right. I think, uh, has to go into this tier out of basically uh, contract eff- effectively. I think he lands in here. I don't know. I, I think... There's an argument to be made probably that no running back should be in this tier and that they're all either tier three or tier five, but we won't make that argument today. <laughs> Not uh, yet. I, I think... You got to ease him in. You yeah, gotta, gotta I, ease I, in. I think it makes probably most sense for him to to be at this spot, even though really his one massive salary cap year has already come and gone with with nothing out of it, and uh, and we're kind of left here. So I think... This is kind of the the big thing for me, and we talked about this a little bit last week where I kind of thought that this was the big story, right, was the the Tier 4 and the number of players there. The dwindling core. This is the other side of that coin, right, where it's effectively a lot of players that we thought were going to be kind of core pieces on the next good 49ers team, the next good, you know, the the next playoff team that they were able to put together. You would look back and, like, these were going to be some of the core pieces. Now, I think you even if you identify these ones here like you don't feel good about that being really like the core of your roster right to surround your top end players i mean you're looking at three running backs in there uh that's a what couple interior me. linemen i was and- gonna say that the, what worries me about this tier is not necessarily the quality of the the players it's the complexion of the positions that make up this tier it, and i love matt Breida. obviously if you've listened to us for a long time you know that i'm not i'm not shy about my love for matt Breida, but I, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention that he is a running back. And there's a reason that Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert looked good at times this year, and that's because this system is very running back friendly. And and I think that you can find other Matt Breedas. That that skill set is not necessarily so rare and so valuable that that, you know, I'm not so naive to think that if he were to, you know, go get picked up by someone else or we were to cut him or whatever, that the team would be an alert at running back, right? And and same thing with fullback and use check. That, I think, is what worries me, is that you've got some positions in here that aren't really valuable for football, whereas I would love to see a better complexion of this roster where you have some edge pressure in Tier 2. You've got, I'm glad that we have a couple of wide receivers in here, um, but that you have a cornerback or two in this I mean, area. So again, not a single defensive player or Fred Warner is your lone defensive player. And honestly, like, I think there's an argument that, that He's he could four. probably go tier four, right? I think that we could potentially look back next year at this time and realize that we made the same mistake with Fred Warner that we did with Witherspoon and some of these other players who are now uh tier four players. So I, I, I'm not even like, full in on him at tier two. I think it, you know, you probably make sense because he's going to be around and he's going to be a starter, right? Barring significant injury or just a, a, a significant decline in performance, right? I think you're expecting him to be out there. And so I think that maybe pushes him a little bit, but it, it, yeah, I think right now defensively you have a serious problem. I think offensively, you know, you're going to be hoping things are just kind of end up being okay. Once you get your quarterback back, but it really defensively is in a bad, bad spot. You have nobody there at key positions that you can really rely on. And I think the the piece that worries me the most in this area and the the probably the person that I went back and forth with the most in this tier was Weston Richburg. And, and this was a player that really, I mean, we saw what Alex Mack did to the Atlanta Falcons offense with Kyle Shanahan in 2016. And, and that was a key piece. And the Niners very clearly identified this as an area where they needed to upgrade. 
And especially when you're staring down the barrel of this division and you're looking at the Rams in the Super Bowl and, and you look at, you know, the interior of that defensive line, it's going to be in paramount for the 49ers to have a, a good unit along the interior. And it's good that Lakin Tomlinson is here. I think he's probably one of the better stories for the 49ers since the regime took over. But Weston Richburg being so like playing so poorly this year is really concerning. And, and I thought about putting him in tier three, but quite simply the fact that he is going to be expected to produce for several years based on his contract, I think is ultimately what puts him in tier two, but I don't feel super great about that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's completely fair, right? I think what lands him here for me, you know, one of the, we were talking about this before the show and, and one of the kind of example players that's in a similar ish boat is like somebody like Malcolm Smith, right? Who was brought in on a, uh, a pretty significant contract as a reminder tier five. Yeah. Not a good player, right? Not a good football player. Um, and he was brought in though on a, uh, a significant contract and you looked at the roster at that time and they didn't have, you know, necessarily a lot of great linebacker depth. And so I think there was a very clear case that you could make that he was going to be likely a significant part of the defense, right. And have a significant role. I think the difference between a player like him and like Richburg for me is kind of that track record that we're going off of, right? So Malcolm Smith has basically never been a good football player. He had one good year in Seattle, uh, has basically been a poor football player every other year of his career. And so I think I, when you're, again, doing that little bit of projection, to me, it, it makes far more sense to, to say that he's going to be a player that no matter what the contract they give him, it's not going to be able to survive that contract because he just isn't good enough to stay out there ahead of some of the players that will inevitably come in. With Richburg, on the other hand, this was more the outlier bad season for him, right? Even when he was uh, dealing with injuries and, and had things going on in New York, he was still like a, an above average center, right? That was kind of his established normal level of play. And then he has a peak, you know, there was a season there where he was fully healthy and everything went right where he was the best center in football. So that's kind of more the range that you're working with before this year. And then he comes in, has a bad year. I'm more willing to say that it's more likely he's going to revert to that previously established level of play that was good and and still finish out that contract than somebody like Smith was. And, and the key here really is what the player does with injury. Because with Richburg, of course, he's having surgery on his quad and his knee because he's been battling that knee injury all season. And I think what the position we've taken with evaluating play on the field with injury is that it is definitely something to note, but it's not something that we adjust for because injuries affect everyone in the NFL. And and if we were to say, well, this person is going to need to get moved up in terms of performance because he was injured, but this person isn't, we just don't know the specifics of injuries and we don't want to play doctor. So yep. all we can do is evaluate their play on the field as we see it. Note it as an asterisk, as something that we may need to to point out that may have affected the performance, but ultimately still judge them for the performance on the field. And that's where we're at with Richburg, is he played poorly this year. The hope is that that was largely due to injury, but that's we're not still going to say, oh, he's you know, like a, a core player. He's in but tier even, one. Even if it wasn't, right? Even if it wasn't injury-related, even if he just had, he was fully healthy the whole year and just had a bad year, I think it would still be the same stance, right? Again, you have one season of poor play, 
what was it, four before then of, you know, a, a basically average or better play, like I'm going to expect that player that had the down year to kind of bounce back and go back to that, that, uh, that average or better, um, it, more so than I'm going to expect this to be kind of a newly established level of performance for him. So I, I think that, yeah, regardless of the reasons, uh, in most cases, they're not going to be all that important. You want to look at the larger body of work anyway. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's kind of where I'm at with him. He should be better next year. That would be the hope. Yeah, when you look at his grades over the course of his career, his rookie season, he played just about average, but then you get into his 2015 year, and that's when he was the best center in football. Uh, and then you get to his 2016 year where he started to get injured. He still played at a high level. 2017, injury shortened, high level. And then you get to San Francisco, and he has uh, an abysmal year. So, I mean, that makes a ton of sense, and, and that's ultimately why Richburg ends up in Tier 2 for us. But, I, I mean, it is it is indeed a dwindling core, and, and I think that the, the mix of where the positions of quote-unquote strength are for the 49ers are a little concerning. I think the wide receiver position at this point is one that has a couple of Tier 2 players, which is good. Dante Pettis, I think, is a player that in Tier 2, as a second-round pick, that that's great. That's a great find. I think that... Kyle Shanahan can he can identify wide receiver talent I think and and I think when you couple the tier two players in Goodwin and Pettis and you add some of the tier four players that we identified last episode I don't know that wide receiver is as dire of a position as others would think that that's probably one of the earlier takeaways that I've got overall for these two tiers at least what we've got through these four tiers um, is that I I do think another offensive weapon would be great because I think that you can never have too many offensive weapons. Definitely. But I don't think that it's as dire as other parts of the roster. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's probably not at a at a point where you're using your most premium resources to go after a receiver, right? So I don't think that's a, an area they're going to be looking to go with their first round pick. You know, even if they traded down a little bit, I still wouldn't expect them to really look at receiver a whole lot. Uh, and I think in free agency, there's not really a ton of guys there. Like, you know, and I, and you would hope that they're not going to trade first round picks for, you know, a receiver like Brown Beckham. I think, you know, the argument for adding Did receivers. Did you just join their names? Brown Beckham? <laughs> Brown or Beckham. <laughs> I didn't yeah. hear the or. I thought you said like Brown Beckham. Whatever. <laughs> just like a hyphenated Brown Beckham. Random ass elite receiver, whatever, whoever you want to throw out there. No, I, I think that, uh, you know, if you're going to make an argument for adding receiver and really adding, I think, uh, weapons on offense at all, because I don't think you, again, the expectation with where the roster is at right now, I, I think running back, you're probably going to largely bring back the same group at the top, right, that you have now. Maybe you're adding a body there at the bottom of the roster, but nothing major. And uh, tight end, same thing. You have your established tight end. Maybe you're bringing in a complementary piece, but you're not going you know, necessarily too hard there. So I think uh, you would be okay if they largely just brought back the same offense and inserted what you hope is a top 10, f- top five quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo, and then everything is, is good to go. Um, I, I can understand the argument that if you're going to go all in and building one thing that it, that one thing should be your passing offense, right? It's the, it's the most stable from year to year. Uh, it, it is the most important factor in success. Uh, I think 
you're just hoping that that's going to be largely driven by the quarterback, right? Is I think what it comes down to. I go back to something that Kevin Clark said on the ringer podcast. And he said that oftentimes when it gets down into the playoffs, it's not necessarily the team that does certain things the best. It's the team with the fewest flaws. And, and I think the, the Patriots this year didn't have the best offense and they didn't have the best defense, but neither of those was necessarily a liability. And right now, the 49ers have a very, very clear liability, and it's not wide receiver. Um, and so I think that if the Niners are going to be a team that you know looks to start pushing and competing for a playoff spot next year, they have to shore up some of those real liabilities. And at least based on the four tiers that we've established thus far, those liabilities are pretty clear. Yeah, I think that you have to at least, again, you want to build around your offense, and the best facet of your team should definitely be your offense and in your pass offense. Um, but you have to, I think, meet a sort of minimum threshold defensively, right? Where you can't be so abysmal. And again, what they were this season from a pass defense standpoint was by far the worst in the NFL. Like it, it's not an acceptable level uh, if you hope to be a playoff team and a team that competes. It wasn't AAF level. It wasn't AAF. I mean, it wasn't far. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if some of these dudes are playing in the AAF. In a, a Keith Reeser. Keith Reeser's in the AAF. Yeah, I saw, I saw Andrew Tiller uh, getting some some play there. Yeah, Man, there's a that lot guy of beat lines. out Anthony Davis for a starting offensive line position sure at one did. point. That's yeah. fun. Uh, yeah, so I, th- I think that you need to improve on a couple of those key positions defensively. You, nobody's saying that you need to go out there and, and try to have the best defense in football. I don't think you need that. If your offense is good enough, you just need to have an average-ish defense and that hopefully the strength of that defense should be in the passing game, right, is what you're looking for. So next week, we will talk about tier one players, those core players, talk a little bit more about some overall general takeaways, and then talk about how that's going to influence the next upcoming shows that we'll have. Because after we're done with the roster evaluation, then it gets into free agency because we'll have the positions that we want to target and we'll have the kind of blend of players that we may need to bring in for those positions as well. Um, and then we're going to get into the, uh, the draft prep and talking about how we can fill those draft roles as well. So off we go in the the off-season roster evaluation, which leads into free agency, which then leads into the draft. Uh, So next week, Tier 1 players and the key takeaways. We are indeed going to put all of the Tier 2 and the Tier 3 players in a list on Niners Nation. So if you want a visual guide to follow along, definitely go there. There's also going to be a quick little diagram that outlines the model, the definitions, so that you can see those written out and spelled out pretty clearly. Uh, and uh, and I think that's about all she wrote for this week. So you can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. Yeah, so uh, have fun. Last Full week of football, last final days, I guess, of final football. Game, yeah, yeah, it's before uh, before Tom and then, Brady and then the uh, the AAF. I, football never stops. Okay, I don't know what no. you're talking about. No, it doesn't ever stop. Uh, it is AAF, always AF. We're just gonna find new ways to do it. But thanks again for tuning in, and as always, go Niners. Go Niners.